I still think we self-identify as we're not quite a startup anymore, <laughs> but we still have some of those yeah. residual behaviours and attitudes. I think, and, yes. and, by, and by no means do we feel like we've finished yet. Yes. You know, we're, we're, it's the end of the beginning. I think is the <laughs> Churchillian quote. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. yeah we, we've been around for a while, but still a long, long way to go. Welcome to The Entrepreneur Project, stories of innovation and scale. Each episode, we're diving into conversation with entrepreneurs, innovators, and business leaders who will share insight into growing high-impact organizations. We live in a digital world. From GPS to online banking and remote working, we rely on tech to keep us in the loop, wherever we are and whenever we need it. As we become increasingly reliant on tech, new opportunities and risks for startups and all businesses are emerging. Here to talk to you about how to utilize tech to streamline your organization so you can focus on what you do best is Gary Turner. As the co-founder and managing director of Zero, a multi-award winning online accounting software, Gary is one of the most influential figures in UK fintech. Under Gary's leadership, Zero has scaled from a three-person startup with annual revenues of just £50,000 to a global player with 1.8 million paying subscribers in 180 countries and revenues of over £60 million. I'm here at Startup Summit 2019 with Gary Turner, who's the co-founder and the MD of Zero UK. How are you getting on, Gary? I'm doing very well. It's great to be in Edinburgh and great to see such a vibrant startup event and the community around this. It's been going for eight years. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I I know. Crazy to think. But Zero's been going even longer, hasn't it? That's right. Although yes. we still, I still think we um, self-identify as... We're not quite a startup anymore, <laughs> but we still have some of those yeah. residual behaviours and attitudes, I think. And, yes. and, by, and by no means do we feel like we've finished yet. Yes. You know, we're, we're, it's the end of the beginning, I think, is the <laughs> Churchillian quote. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. yeah we, we've been around for a while, but still a long, long way to go. Yeah, yeah. It's an interesting question that when people graduate from startup hood, do you have any thoughts on that? Is there a, is there a, a milestone there that puts you into the next stage? Um, I mean, there's, there's some obvious like financial and scale milestones, yeah. I think. Um, but, but I think it's important yes. to remain connected to that spirit because I mean, the, the whole genesis of the business and the idea behind starting your business was obviously significant and motivational and important enough for you to get yeah. it going yeah. and you have to keep connected with that no yes. matter how big your business turns out to be and so I think there's a trick to remaining as passionate and connected with that original point hmm. whether you employ 10 people or 100 or 1000 people yeah. and I think if you look I guess therefore I think if you lose connection with that then you very quickly kind of where are you going and you start drifting along and probably disappear so I think you, you can you can still remain connected even, even although you're much bigger yes and you so you started with Zero when it was small can you tell me about what the company was like when you began with it so Zero's origins uh, actually go back to about 2006, 2007 in Wellington, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And um, our founder, um, uh, Kiwi uh, businessman, uh, gentleman by the name of Rod Drury, and who was our CEO up until about a year and a half ago, okay. um, had this idea, saw an opportunity to, um, to build a business in this sector that had never been done before in the cloud. 
And so by the time um, the prospect of going beyond the shores of New Zealand um, became an ambition for the company, um, I was at Microsoft at the time and got got to know Rod and and, uh, and and the ambition that Rod had for building a global company, which then meant we well, have to have a global team. Mm-hmm. And so when I came on board, would have been early part of 2009, um, there were three people in, in the, like we had no office, people working from home yeah, yeah, yeah. in their boxer shorts answering customer support tickets yes. or you're occasionally going out and seeing customers. <laughs> um, we had about, our revenues in 2009 were about £50,000 for the year and we had a few hundred customers. So it's yeah, like yeah. tiny, tiny bare bones of a business. But it was live. It was yes. live. Yeah, yes. because we're cloud. Yeah. So, I mean, so that we, we have customers in countries that we've never visited before. Yes. <laughs> and so even in those early days in the UK, we, we had a few hundred people that had signed up for zero. Yeah. Even though we hadn't actually set up set up a business yet. Yes. So what was your job for that first year then? What was, what was um, your aim? So my business card has the same job title on it today as it had then, but right. my job is very different now. Okay. I mean, yeah. we're today we're coming up on 400 people in the UK and tens of millions of revenue. And of course, that's a very different set of challenges to what it was when I came on board. And so when I was that, that, that kind of startup uh, leader, the only manager in the business, the, so HR, IT, marketing, yeah. Yeah. PR, sales, everything. Yes. And so, fortunately for me, I'm a generalist in the <laughs> true meaning of the word and can do lots of things to a reasonably mediocre degree of competence, <laughs> um, and which was ju- turned out to be just good enough in the first couple of years. And so, whatever needed done, I did it. I remember we moved into our first office and I like sitting on the floor configuring the Wi-Fi router <laughs> yeah. to let people on the internet. So like, you, you name it, I, I did it. Um, yes. And progressively, I've been able to hand off all those hats to much smarter, more capable people down the years. But in the early yeah. days, you, if, if a job needs done, then you yeah. have to do it. Yes. Yep. And what did you have aims at that time for your first, or a strategy even around your first five or ten hires? Like, did you know at that point who you needed to get in place right then to grow the business? <clears throat> I think I, I did. I think we, um, so it was going to be hard for us to hire people that wanted to come into a secure employment context yeah. they wanted pensions and healthcare yes. and gyms and you're not going to do that in a startup and so hiring people that have a large organization was probably going to be hard um, equally we needed people with some experience and capability I remember specifically the first two salespeople that I hired um, I, I wanted people that knew the industry so they knew the accounting industry um, and, and, and therefore weren't and, and came prepackaged in that way they understood the landscape but were perhaps a, a, earlier on in their career progression okay. and so we're yeah. quite happy to roll their sleeves up and hustle yeah. and yeah. so I wanted people that knew their onions but were also going to get stuck in and, and, and were uh, could demonstrate initiative drive and ambition mm-hmm. and, and, and we could have gone down the route of hiring junior people that didn't know the industry um, or senior people that really knew the industry but didn't want to roll the sleeves up. And so I had a very clear sense of what I was looking for in those first few hires. You just need those like Swiss Army knives yeah, that, yeah. that know, know enough about as many things as possible and can get stuck in. Were they hard to find? Um, I think, um, yeah, so it wasn't easy. I don't remember spending very long doing it because... 
of course, you're a tiny brand and nobody's heard of you, so you're not like batting off a field of hundreds of applicants, you know what I mean? And, and so probably the first five or 10 people that we saw out of that batch, we, yeah. we hired from. Um, and I think uh, if there's anything I'll, 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 I'll kind of look at, um, Kind of retrospectively looked that I, I I did well is that I'm a pretty good judge of character and I can spot great talent and I think I'm lucky not everybody's able to do that and don't get me wrong I've hired some some howlers as well <laughs> my hit rate's not 100% but generally speaking um, I've been very fortunate in being able to spot the diamond and the rough or being able to spot the glint in somebody's eye or their capability or their experience yeah. and been able to grab them and, and more often than not they've worked out to be amazing hires and so I think the ability to hire well is probably one of the most important skills if you don't yeah. have it you need to get somebody that can help you with really. it or develop it really yeah. really important yeah those early people do you so you're talking about having Swiss Army Knife type people in the very early days does that mean that those first few that you took on how much direction did they need, or did you have to put a lot of process in place at that point? Um, well, we, we, didn't, we didn't really. So no. we, we didn't really have very much process. I mean, yeah. we had some fundamental principles that we wanted. We knew who we wanted to sell to. Yes. We could identify the typical customer that we wanted yeah. to find. Yeah. Um, but that is a kind of like macro level viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't really have sales processes. We yeah. didn't really have methodologies or systems. There yeah. was lots of spreadsheets holding stuff together. Yeah. Um, what we did do is we, we invested in our own kind of CRM, customer management and, and reporting system, sure. which is probably one of the, one of the biggest um, uh, and best decisions that we made because of course when you have no customers and you have no kind of real kind of scale why are you going to spend all this time and effort building this massive system yeah, yeah. and in my talk today I talked about like making decisions for the future state of your business not for what it looks like today and mm. that applies to hiring and systems and process and so one of the one of the I think was the most important things we, we built a great back office system that was our own in-house CRM customer yeah. ticket management system sales dashboard and reporting and everything even although we didn't have very many customers and, and we kind of anchored around that and then filled the gaps with spreadsheets yeah. and then people just using their own initiative. And so yeah. we n not, not micromanaged, not really giving clear direction because we were trying to crack the code. Yeah. Yeah. How do we build a business model here? Yeah. So a lot of experimentation was required. Do you think that's still relevant now with the you know, profusion of tools that do that type of stuff? Would you still recommend a company build its own systems? Or um, I, I wouldn't. I think we're probably, uh, given that we were a, like an accounting software business, yeah. then we, we had like this predisposition to yeah. having people <laughs> that knew how to do that. Yes. And so building our own back office accounting tools was like a natural thing for yeah. us to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I would, I, therefore, unless, you, unless you're like in that area, it's probably not a logical pathway. And there's like a whole proliferation of apps that didn't exist when we got going. If right. yeah. I, I yeah. suspect yeah. that like 12 years ago when we were getting going, uh, we probably would have bought an app yeah. if we were doing it today. I think, yeah. Okay. 12 years, there was none of that then. Yes. So we literally had to build it ourselves. Yeah, so yeah. I, 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 there's, there's a whole galaxy of apps and dashboards and products that you can buy today that yeah. I'd recommend. Fair, fair. So moving on from there, do you remember... Do you remember the first milestone where you felt it changed in terms of how the company had to be structured or run? I, I, I've, um, 
that's a great question. I've been asked that a number of times down the years. And, and for me, there was no one milestone. Mm-hmm. And I think there's this like folklore that surrounds particularly technology businesses sure. and, and, and helped by businesses like Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. And they have these cases where you have this like meteoric growth. Yeah. You know, and this thing is like a fire hose out of control when it comes to growing. Yeah. And do you know what? I, I think um, 99% of the time that doesn't happen. There isn't like one day it just goes off like a rocket unexpectedly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what happens is, and certainly I remember this in the early years, there were lots of these little micro inflection points. Yeah. You can only need to like retune your antenna to point to point to micro inflections every yeah. week. Yes. You know what I mean? Like the day that you pass through double digits of new customers. Or the day that um, you did your first event or the first you know not not a big thing yeah but a a, 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 a kind of a, a combination of lots of small micro events and so you so there's zoom out and you see this hockey stick yeah but actually if you zoom in you see a much more jagged yeah a period of flat <laughs> and then an uplift and a step and a period of flat and yeah, like yeah. so if you zoom into a chart you see the the pixelation of it is tiny little micro-inflections. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just became very attuned to kind of just detecting the slightest change in the wind yeah. direction. So like, oh, that's <laughs> new. I haven't experienced that before. That's yeah. that's good. That's another one of those little micro-winds. Micro yeah. And yeah. enough of them turns out you, you, you get a big one. Yeah, in terms of growth. In yeah, aggregate, yeah. The team itself then, early on, obviously, they were... you. You didn't need that much structure, but later there must be a point where you think, right? Actually, we need to, you know, get a staff handbook in place. We need to actually put it into teams. We need to start thinking about culture, all those kind of things. Is there, is there was there a point where you started thinking much more analytically about that? I think there was, although many things such as culture and values yeah. and some of the basic systems we had. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and I think the culture parts are really important. So we have five values as a business, and we kind of indoctrinate all of our new starts to have that. And we've always had them. And my experience of values and mission statements is usually a remedial thing, yeah. where a large business has kind of lost track and hires a consulting firm to come in and like reconnects with this new company mission, and here's the posters on the wall. Uh, but I think it's really important in a startup business also, don't wait until you need them yeah. as a remedy. Yes. Have them from the beginning. And so we had things like that, and I, and, and I think they acted as a preservative rather than a kind of remedy for a problem or losing, losing track. Um, but I think once you have to have some of that stuff in place and you're then working out the gaps in between. I'd certainly say that like 10, 12 years down the line, um, we're, we're kind of unbundling and repackaging solutions that we built 10 years ago, which were applicable then, but no longer are. Yeah. Or we're hiding specialists were hiring people with much deeper domain expertise in particular yeah. areas compared with the kind of universal soldiers that we were hiring a decade ago. Yes. Yeah. And so some of that stuff was there from the beginning and you need to nurture it. But actually, you have to have a pretty loose um, hold on things and don't get too wedded to an idea because what I've also found is that an idea, a business, a process, a convention five years ago would have been amazing today is a massive liability and you need yeah. to cut it and so yeah. you've always got to be looking how do we improve from here rather than taking too much glory in your past success yes <laughs> can you tell me about a time when that happened when something obviously wasn't a fit actually after all an idea wasn't the right one at the time 
Um, we, um, so it's probably, um, there's probably a product dimension to that. So one of the, I, I spoke in my, my keynote about the need to focus and not to be distracted. And one of the, one of the distractions that we, we ended up killing because it wasn't working out is that we actually built a consumer version of Zero. Oh, okay. So it was like a business accounts version of Zero, And then we thought, well, there's a little kind of adjacent segment here where people that run businesses are also consumers and maybe they want Zero for their personal financial management needs. And so we built a product called Zero Personal um, and we ran it for about two or three years. And we, we actually managed to get a few thousand people on board with it. But it just, we just struggled to find that the market model, that the, the go-to-market model was different, the service expectations were different, the way we were monetizing it was different, and we ultimately made, it was a great product, people love using it, yeah, yeah. but we decided to kill it. Yeah. Um, and so we killed it off about seven or eight years ago, and, um, and, and it's kind of been lost in the kind of history yeah. that people don't associate zero having failed at building a Let's product but we had yeah. a product it didn't work and, and we could have kept plowing money into it or recognised that it was never going to get anywhere and we, we, we took that right decision and so that's probably one of the bigger ones but along the way we've made lots of decisions about we're going to stop doing things yeah. or yeah. change things and I think again it comes back to me for it doesn't need to be perfect it doesn't need to be the best thing ever just make it better than what it is today yeah. how do you improve on where you are today and, yeah. and if you can infuse your culture and your people with that kind of programming um, then making decisions about killing stuff off is pretty easy because you're making it better. You're, you're helping the business achieve its goals. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting one. Then you said though that people were using it, people were enjoying the product. What makes you remove something, kill something off if it is having some success, but maybe not as much as you'd like? Um, for us, it was really simple. It's, again, it's a really simple business case justification. Is that, that it was costing us effort and time and focus to sustain this product that wasn't really getting going and that money and time and effort and focus could have been spent on something that was growing and and, and when you look at it in the cold light of day and we made an assessment that was this ever actually going to get to scale as I knew was it going to be so much of a distraction for us that would actually hamper our core business Yeah. and then when you realise that you've got to make the right call for the core business and focus on that and so yeah we so we we kind of like we, we, we killed it off gracefully we let people use it for about 18 months before switching the lights off completely and let them and we did some things to help them migrate to other products yeah but ultimately it was the right business decision although it was a difficult one to take it was the right one yeah i wanted to ask about the event when did ZeroCon start um so the very first ZeroCon was in new zealand in 2010 oh, so it was and there was about yeah. 40 people came to that um we then did one in australia in 2011 and we did the first one in the UK in 2012, yeah. so September 2012. So there, it's maybe more common these days, to be fair, brands running events around their brand, but was it, was it particularly common then, back when you first started that? I think, uh, so the, the idea for, um, and the reason why we, we did a ZeroCon, and, and like that first one we did in London in September 2012, we had 200 people, which of course felt like huge. That yeah, was our yeah. first ever conference. And, yes. And, and my God, people actually came, and that, that in itself, relatively, was, yeah. was a huge thing. And ZeroCon uh, 2019 is in the middle of November this year, and mm. we have over 3,000 people coming to that, so it's a very different <laughs> event now. Gross, but the yeah. idea of having this big scale event is really commonplace in the technology industry. Microsoft and 
Apple and Google have been doing these big scale conference style events for decades. And and we we felt that, again, because we saw the scale of the opportunity for Zero, the thousands, tens of thousands of people that could connect in the accounting world, um, why why wouldn't we want to create a physical community event? Because communities live online and they're digital and non-physical today. But actually, people also really value face-to-face mm-hmm. eyeballing, you know, yeah. bringing the community together, yeah. actually creating a platform for the community to meet yes. their peers is really powerful. Um, and so that, that was, again, a part of the product, that's part of the vision that we had, is that, well, why wouldn't we build that? And why wouldn't, how could, wouldn't that be cool if we could have like a thousand yeah. people or a couple of thousand people to come to zero core? Yeah. yeah. And it'll be just as good as the Apple ones or the Google ones or the Microsoft ones. Well, why not? Yeah. yeah. And having been in software in my time at Microsoft, I've been some of the big events in Microsoft. And so, yeah, what, yeah, let's build that. That's cool. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm really glad we did because it's, this ma- it's a really important event in our calendar now for, yeah. for the community to come together. It's great. Yeah. And that's the main benefit, is it? It's just really getting those people together, building some loyalty around but you know what? I think, the brand itself. I think, I think it's even more important today than it was even 20 years ago because really? it's so easy now to like just sit in your boxer shorts at home yeah. and do, and work and, yeah. commu- and, com- yeah. and like communicate cloud, social yeah. media and the cloud or from a coffee shop. And so many people know. And that's yeah. great because we're way more startups and we're more self-employed geniuses like doing their own thing now Um, but people crave physical connectivity as well and and I think I'd hate to think that we're destined to sit in like a little cubicle in the middle of nowhere with some VR goggles on (laughs) connecting with people I I think you could argue that even more so today bringing people together physically is such an important aspect of what makes up an economy or a, a community vibrant. So we think it's really important. Excellent. Just to finish up then, do you have any advice in terms of, you know, in, in uncertain times when, when things are a little unpredictable, which often happens these days, what, I mean, a new business coming into either your industry or somewhere else entirely how do you think about those early days like when you joined when it was just three people building to 10 to 50 to 100 what are the what are the best things you can do right then to build a robust business that actually has the best chance of being sustainable I think uh, at least a couple of things need to be true You, you, you need to have personally you need to have anchored yourself and something that's really purposeful. Solving a real problem, solving a, seizing a real opportunity. Um, and, and for us and for me, and we, I mean, like 2009 in the UK, like a decade ago, we were in the biggest global financial crisis in decades and double debt recession. So it was actually quite tough to, to start a business when we got going. Um, but we were so convicted about the opportunity and the market need that was there, that, that nothing was going to stop us going after that. And yeah. so we had no doubt that there was a huge market opportunity and it may be a bit choppy to start with, but that's, that's going to pass. Yeah. And so having that purpose and being really convicted about that meant that no matter how tricky it was, you, you just kept going, you'd like smash through walls if, yeah. if they're in your way. And then I think um, I think is really important is really know your numbers. Mm-hmm. Time and time again, when I speak to entrepreneurs and founders and CEOs, yes, you've got to have a great product and a great idea and conviction and motivation and people and everything else. 
But if you don't understand your numbers, if you don't really understand how your business works, you're probably going to fail. Um, and and it, and that's not everybody's core competency. You mean you, you you're scratching an itch in your particular domain or your field. That doesn't mean you're a great accountant or a great yeah. guy or a girl with numbers. Um, and so, either read the books, do the research, get good at understanding how your business works. So the plumbing of spending money to acquire customers and service customers. And how does that how does that roll out over the next three years? And or get somebody to help you with it. Find an accountant or a bookkeeper or somebody that can help you with that. Yeah. And really knowing the numbers. Because that will then give you the confidence that if you're having a difficult month or a difficult quarter, you can see that in the context of where you're going overall. Yeah. It's really easy to get spooked by a, a bad couple of months and then begin to doubt that your business is actually going to succeed. Yeah. Having a great grounding and understanding how your financials operate, the kind of how your business is breathing in and breathing out in terms yeah. of like where you're spending money, what's happening, what's working. Yes. So important. Great. So know your numbers. Great advice. Thank you very much for your time, Gaddy. Thank you. Cheers. The Entrepreneur Project is brought to you by FutureX and the podcast host. You can get more information about FutureX at futurexinnovation.com. And if you want to launch your own podcast, check out the full guide at thepodcasthost.com forward slash start. Or feel free to try out the podcast maker app, alitu.com. That's A-L-I-T-U dot com. Graphics are by Laurie Davidson and the show is edited and produced by The Podcast Host.